Hello, everyone, and welcome to my CHN podcast, Health Conversations Without Barriers. This is Mariela and the CHN gang. Hi, all. I'm Olga. Hi, I'm Elijah. And we, this is the second part to the first part of the pharmacist. So just a quick recap for episode one and two. We find out the horrible uh, tragedy, uh, Mr. Danahue's family, he's the pharmacist, uh, that they go through, but this is the catalyst to him becoming a, a spokesperson against the opioid abuse that is going on in his town and for him to stop a doctor, Dr. Jacqueline Claggett, from operating and prescribing at that time. So now we start with episode three. And this one is dope dealers with white lab coats, which I mean, for me, actually that, that sounds, that's a pretty good title for the episode. So we see the conflict between Mr. Dan and Ravi, right? How they're having a conflict between how the FBI and the DEA are taking this case. And they feel like both of them, both of these two entities are not doing anything to stop Dr. Jack and Claggett. And um, what do you guys think they were feeling at the moment? So I definitely think that uh, Mr. Dan was so determined. He was willing to do anything uh, to go beyond, even though FDA wasn't even letting him um, participate in any investigation. They were pretty much laughing at him. So now he he becomes even more determined uh, to do anything he can to stop this. I thought this part was so interesting because here they are, he's waiting on them and they're looking at him like, who are you? You're not even like, you're, you're nobody. And he getting more done than what the DEA is able to get done in that time frame. And I think it's interesting because they were like, well, we had to wait for all of these bureaucratic kind of processes and that was taking us so long, but he was able to get much more done faster than they could and they weren't even taking it seriously. Yes, they were going through a level, right? Of like, bringing it up, bring it up. But Mr. Dan was like, why are you guys going through all that? Let's just do something about it. We see a DEA um, agent. She talks about that there was no such thing as a prescription monitoring program. Do you guys know what that was? Where they were able to see who's prescribing what to which patient and how much. And at that time, they did not have that program. That's kind of crazy because imagine having just like stacks of paper who's going to have the time to go through stacks of paper and then I guess put them in excel spreadsheets I I don't know that just sounds like a lot of manual work Um, and then we see that they give us a number for how many prescriptions are oxycodone Dr. Cleggett um, prescribed she wrote 180,000 prescriptions oh wow that's a that's a large number. That's a lot. And they kind of round it down because actually she wrote 182,723. And it, it was all because, you know, it was like a very small town, right? Not, not like a small town, but think of it as like suburban, I guess, but in the bad side of suburban. And there was only 10 pharmacies. So dear listener, we live in Texas. And unless you're in Midtown or downtown Houston, and if you're in a suburban or rural area, there is probably what, 
three pharmacists, uh, three, not three pharmacists, I'm so sorry, uh, three pharmacies, or at most, I would say six, but you have to kind of like drive around. And if this was the case for San Bernard Parish, then that means in a small area, she was prescribing all these prescriptions. So that's, that's just blew my mind. So, and then also we see like the videos of videos of the death in young people, right? And, and then it's just because of overdose. So apparently this little community was uh, ground zero for overdoses. Seeing all the, the kids dying back and forth, not back and forth, but over and over again. And I can only imagine how Dan would have felt seeing that happen in his community after his after what happened with his son. And then his daughter, she was talking about how she, a lot of her friends had overdosed throughout her teenage years and her early, her early adulthood. She's mentioned like some sound they make when they're, when they're gasping for air, when they're going through and she's like, yeah, I had to sit there through like a couple of friends. I saw that happen a couple of times. I was like, wow. I can't imagine because at, at that point you already know that their dependence on the, of this drug is, literally maybe something that they're doing every day at that at that point yes so definitely that's a scary uh part but the other point that scared me a lot is that uh when one of the sales uh the the, one of the sales people for purdue pharma um he was interviewed in the show and he said so I knew that there was something wrong with these drugs but I was keep going because of money so that was a very crazy point for me because pretty much uh, all these people, they were, they were going in for money. And he said, uh, if anybody else would be there, they would do the same thing in my position because they were getting paid so much to promote this drug. They didn't even, they couldn't stop, even though they knew they probably have a part of, you know, some people's death, some kids' death. So they had another addiction, <laughs> the sales rep. To, to the money. And that's, yeah. that's probably a bigger one. I, I believe I wrote it down. His name is Chris Davis. There you go. And he was a sales rep with Purdue Pharma. And he started in 1998. And he just says that, you know, the training, the, the orientation was, at, he said it was like, a lot of raw, raw, which I'm pretty sure that just means like it was very like positive, like you can do this and um, all these things were like, it was very intensive. Apparently it was like a, like a long period. Um, but you also see the reason at, at the beginning, this cells are just thought, hey, we're just selling a medication that has been approved by the FDA. So they pretty much use that label of FDA approved to get in the hospitals and get to talk to the doctors, right? So it's kind of like, um, and he says, hey, you know all the, all the work that it takes to even get this, this, this approval, like, and it's true. It, it takes a lot of work. Yes, and I remember him saying uh, he was uh, trying to work in the area and then I know he noticed Dr. Claggett and how many uh, he, she was prescribing. So now he says, well, I just need the right doctor. I don't need the area. I just need the right doctor 
who is going to make me a lot of money. So that's why when he figures out that, you know, Dr. Claggett has, you know, a part of this and he's, she's pretty much running a pill mill at this point. I know when he, he was talking about, wait a minute, this is, and I, I wrote it, dear listener, I, I wrote it. And he says that the self rep was making a hundred, almost 180K thousand a year. I think it was like $800,000 a year, 800 yes. something. Yeah, it was almost a million. Like I, I remember the money part, that was crazy, <laughs> insanity. I mean, it makes you think at that point, like if you would be in that position, would you do the same? <laughs> I mean, I want to think I wouldn't, but I mean, that's a, that's a big, that's a big amount of money. I don't know. You start seeing him realize when he went to Dr. Cleggett's operation, because before that he had gone to regular doctors, uh, clinics, right? He calls it and he says a low hanging fruit. So in a way they do get like, they get all this data, right? Of what doctors prescribing, what, like, are they doing short um, opioids? Are they prescribing Oxycontin? Like, do, at what level? How do we turn this low-hanging fruit into the big monsters, the big wells that they were kind of, the, the sales rep were using to kind of use for bragging rights? You guys heard that? Like, it's kind of like, um, like when you go hunting, I guess, and you, you catch like a big, like a big prey. That's kind of how they were using these terms to refer to the doctors uh, using pill mills in a way. We go back now to reports of criminal behavior, right? You see all this report of literally there was a video of a guy robbing a pharmacist in a pharmacy and he said, give me your Oxycontin. I'm not laughing because I think it's funny. I'm just laughing because I laugh when something is kind of makes me nervous in a way. When you told me someone went to rob a pharmacy, it, okay, first of all, when you tell me someone went to rob a bank, I'm like, okay, well, you know, they're, they're there for the money. But if you told me someone robbed a pharmacist. <laughs> Definitely that, that addiction is so strong that people are willing to go above and beyond just to get the drug and it scares me and it's crazy how the doctors are the ones who have this power pretty much they have power in their hands and now they're abusing their power in their own benefit so Dr. Claggett she was making millions as well as all the people who had attached to this drug they made they all made a lot of money but the crazy part that they made money on somebody's desk pretty much that's that's really scary so then you see a promo right because this uh, promo this is marketing from Purdue Pharma and it's called partners against um, pain you see testimonials from patients that suffer a, a chronic illness right that brings them pain I did relate to uh, the, I believe he was a construction guide and he said that he had back pain. <laughs> when I say that I have, I suffer back pain, <laughs> I could relate to him. So I, okay, so I did a little bit of research, guys. 
And uh, a lot of the people that are show in those commercials have passed away from overdoses, have lost everything. Some of them were homeless. Some of them lost their families because they became addicted. Um, for example, the grandma that, you know, she said, I can finally play with my grandkids. When she lost her job, she lost her insurance. She can no longer get the pills. So she sold her car to get the pills. Then she sold her house. And at some point she was homeless. So this was honestly not a, 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 a good ending for all of them. Um, and, you know, and then you see like this, obviously this is research that I've done now, but the marketing was so good back then that some doctors thought it was, it was not addictive. I mean, or, you know, they were paid to say that it was not addictive. Yeah, it's crazy. And even the president um, of the, the, the pharma comp, uh, the Purdue Pharma, company he he believed that he did not want to um accept the fact that this drug was bad until the end and that just shows how 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 determined they were to make the money and you know sell the drug no matter what i think that just really goes to show how um medical there's can be an impact on the community when it comes to certain um, ramifications I could really tell there was like a disconnect between the people um, who were on the defense when they had like the, when the corporate people in Purdue Pharma testified, um, you know, uh, Congress, there was a big disconnect. They showed all the impact that it had on the parish community. That community had been ravaged. I mean, people were going to the, the drugstore, um, robbing the drugstore for drugs rather than money because their addiction had driven them to that point. Like that's, that community probably wasn't like, it wasn't Beverly Hills, but it wasn't like that. You know what I mean? So that, that, that's a big effect. There was definitely a big effect. We also see, Chris Davis says that the salaries of the sales rep, right? They were coming from targets of opportunity, which are the low hanging fruit, which is the doctors that they call monsters. So Pretty much he's telling us that this pill mill doctors are paying the sales reps salaries. And that's why they're able to make that much because it, it, it's coming from the doctors pretty much. And then we see, you know, the, the FBI agent, <laughs> she, it's, it's kind of, they're still getting those receipts, right? I, I, the, the director of this documentary, he, he's still playing those receipts of, of, doc, of Mr. Dan. Um, you see them still hearing um, all the recorded phone calls. But then she talks about the one time that she went to Dr. Clega's house. What did she find in Dr. Clega's house? Yeah, so I remember the part she went to her house and her house was looking um, very kind of all over the place. And uh, she she figured out that Dr. Clagan has kids and uh, she was uh, very disoriented when she was asleep. Dr. Clagan was asleep when they came into the house, but she felt very disoriented. 
so then the, the FDA agent, she uh, suspected that maybe Dr. Claggett is using the drugs herself. Uh, and then they came to her house to ask her to give away her, her license because of how much harm she's doing. And they, they asked her to voluntarily give away her license. And Dr. Claggett said, I have kids to pay, uh, to put through school pretty much. So she refused, she, she, she refused to give away her, her license at that point. That was actually, in, in a way, the, the way I, I saw that, the FBI agent was pretty much extending a hand to her, right? Because she knew what was coming. She pretty much tried to get her to get help and still be able to let her on once she gets help, go back and kind of rectify her, her actions in a way. So then she, as Olga said, she did not stop. Actually, she continued. Then we find the smoking gun, right? We find that this is the way that they're going to be able to stop her. How did they get the state board to pay attention to Dr. Cleggett's case um, and stop her from operating as a doctor? Dan needed some evidence. Dan spoke to her. He asked her about the, uh, he had found some evidence of how much she was prescribing. And he asked her, and he had recorded it. And he asked her, he's like, um, did you, Dr. Cleggett, did you fill this prescription? She was like, yeah, I did. And he was like, well, you know, this is like way over. Like, this is way over what anybody would be recommended to be prescribed. She's like, yeah, well, <laughs> who made you a doctor? She said it much more colorful than that. But that was pretty much the smoking gun um, for the evidence for him to be able to go ahead. Dan and the DA and everyone else be able to go ahead and move forward with the case. Yes, I believe it was, it was all about the little girl. And uh, she started her with 80 milligrams of oxycodone, which is very, very strong dose for somebody who's uh, pretty much under 100 pounds, that was pretty much a death row for that little girl. And that's what the smoking gun was for, for the FBI to actually proceed on this case. At that, everyone noticed that there's no way she's practicing good medicine. So because automatically she was pretty much just filling out prescriptions. She was not thinking of who the patient was, right? She was not dealing doing that due diligence that doctors do. This thing cracked me up where the FBI agent gave credit to Mr. Dan. She said, he's pretty erratic, but he gets things done. And she said, pretty much she said, give credit when it's due. So in reality, Mr. Dan, he becomes like a big power to not just his community, to not just uh, his pharmacy, but to the whole country, because he pretty much started this fight against the drug. And Dr. Claggett is not the only one. And that's where it comes in. Whereas the scary part is mixed, the Dr. Claggett is just one of many. And the, the problem is not in her, but pretty much in the Purdue Pharma. That's the main problem at this point. Oh my gosh, guys, do you guys see this coming? I, I, I did not. At the end of the episode, who shows up? 
Dr. Dr. Clegg. Cleggett. Yeah. Yes. I, that was the crazy part. Yeah. But the crazy part is she did not believe that she did anything wrong. She was even after the all of the years, she she actually got in the accident and she got prescribed oxycodone and she said that it helped her. So she she did not really, I don't know. I, she, I don't think she really realized what how much harm she did. I was gonna say, you know, she was also very, she didn't really get a lot of um, she didn't get the justice that the people in the communities that she affected felt like she should have gotten. She didn't get like jail time. She just got her license taken away and she didn't really have to admit any wrongdoing. So probably in her mind, it's like, well, you know, what I do. And then on top of that, she was incapacitated for a lot of that time period when she was doing that. And then the accident had her even more incapacitated because that was like really shortly. At, I think that was like right before they went to trial when she was in that accident, which is interesting. She got a hangman's, uh, hang, a hangman's fracture. That's kind of what they used to do way, 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 way back when people had committed crimes, unspeakable crimes, they would, you know, that was the death, the death penalty at the time. So I thought that was interesting that was, how that was like, she got that happen to her. That was the karma coming for her. Right. <laughs> right. If, if that, she didn't get the jail time, but she got damaged pretty, pretty bad. I believe it was a really bad uh, accident where she, she yeah she i mean i didn't got, even know that was possible in a car it was something else when you see it right because you you can see it when she talks um what's it called like um it, she she has trouble right a little bit of communicating a little bit so you see that she's living with this what's it called side effects yeah she definitely paid for her crimes for sure and then we see right because she talks about the everything she went through to become a physician, which is, is understandable. We all know it's several years in school and, you know, she was a mother too. So it was definitely hard work to get her license and be able to achieve being a, a mother and also a doctor. But then we cut back to Valentine's Day, February 14 of 2002. We see the DEA SWAT FBI bust into her office and uh, pretty much they, they don't even call it a clinic. They call it an operation because of everything they found inside. Yeah. So it was tax of money and there was prescription, just uh, empty prescriptions with her signature on the bottom, just waiting for the date and the name to be filled in. So definitely they could have a lot of proof that that is not a legitimate clinic that is just business of getting people addicted to these drugs pretty much you know when they asked her did any of your patients die she can't even answer that she she had to think about it she was blinded by all the money and power that she had she lost her moral compass she lost the track she wasn't even accepting that she was doing the harm and then it cuts back into, like Olga said, this, she's not the only doctor, right? There's other doctors doing it. And you see footage of other doctors pretty much doing the same thing where you see up um, what you were able to see in Dr. Cleggett's where there was like a line of people. There was lines of people in the other footage in different cities, different clinics. Um, yeah, so from here, Mr. Dan goes against the Purdue Pharma. That becomes his mission now. And that's a bigger 
enemy to go against uh, because it's a whole operation, it's a whole um, production of these drugs and you know millions of people selling it across the country. So now he becomes determined to stop them. Yeah, you're right. It was pretty much he was taken on a huge corporation, bunch of money, bunch of lawyers. It was going to be extra hard for him. And then you see like one of the problems is that to register a pain clinic, how much do you have to pay for the registration? I believe it was like not a big amount and everybody started opening up their little prescription pain clinics but uh, pretty much that was just side hustle to sell oxycodone then they that's when they noticed that these appear everywhere around the country to be honest a hundred dollars for a pain clinic that's nothing all right so then the community faces another tragedy right and it's in august 29th 2005 we see how hurricane katrina pretty much not obliterates, but damages the community and even bigger, I mean, more than just uh, San Bernard Parish, it's, it's Louisiana, right? The whole state. So you notice how people start falling more into oxycodone and using. So, you know, Purdue Pharma goes to see, not to see, but they get called in to respond in a way to what they've been doing. And um, for their, I wouldn't say illegal marketing tactics, but it was kind of like shady marketing tactics. Um, And they pay $134 million in fines, but they never take responsibility for what they did. And here they go back into why, because of this, they created the prescription monitoring program, right? So we touched back on how they didn't have it at the beginning and how they have it now. The reason why it was created, it was to protect patients and prosecute doctors that run pill mills and to stop doctor shopping. Do you guys remember what doctor shopping it was? Yeah, so it's pretty much where you can, you know, go find any doctor you want to prescribe you anything. But uh, I just wanted to say that Mr. Dan, he is such a pretty much a random person. He is a pharmacist, but he becomes such a great power in pretty much the whole country to stop the drugs. So like you said, the, the Purdue Pharma goes into the court, they pay a lot of money, they go bankrupt. So now uh, this, uh, the addicts are out of their drugs. So they the oxycodone becomes not so available anymore. They bring in the drug monitoring system. So now they try to find other drugs. So now we go from oxycodone addiction into a heroin uh, strike where people are switching to just a stronger drug and probably worse drugs. So, so yeah, now we see how much harm really Purdue Pharma did and, you know, they went bankrupt all for what? For money. Now they, they even lost that. So that's just, you know, a very low point at this time. Again, like, like you see, like the, the ones that saw this happening, right? 
because people couldn't find their, their fix, which was, was Oxycontin, was the drug, drug cartels, right? So they were able to see that um, business opportunity because pretty much it's the same fix, just at a, like a cheaper price, but the, the price you pay is more than money. So you end up paying a higher price than that. And then it shows that there was another industry that did the same marketing tactics of using doctors before Purdue Pharma. You guys remember what that was? Yeah, it was the cigarettes, um, the cigarette production, the nicotine. And they also refused in court that nicotine wasn't addictive. They all was straight up faces. They said, no, no, we don't believe that. Even though, you know, we all know how addictive it is. Um, I don't know if you guys ever seen, this is another show, right? But it's, um, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm blinking on it. But it's back then, even it, it when pregnant women were smoking. And then there was like posters like, it's okay. <laughs> Go ahead yeah, and they smoked smoke. everywhere <laughs> up until I believe 90s. They, they was able to smoke anywhere. So... This ends, I would say they're really, Mr. Dan did his best and he is a great person. Um, shout out to you, Mr. Dan. We're very proud of you and yes. we wish you the best. He is a really an example of how somebody like a simple person can move the mountains pretty much. And uh, in this whole story, it's very sad and Everybody failed a little bit in this story. The, the pharma, the doctors, the FDA, FDA, the government, everybody has a little bit of blood on their hands in, in this story because they, they ruined communities, they ruined people's lives, and they ruined, you know, not just that Louisiana area, but it's all around the country. So you know, we just have to be careful and we just have to, in the end of the day, we just have to be good people. We just have to, you know, it's not all about money. It's all about what you bring in because the people who thought they were making so much money at the, at the point, at that time, they paid later. They paid that money back and they paid with very hard consequences for their lives. So in the end of the day, it didn't matter to them. So be, be real and be, you know, a good person at heart. That's the, the point. A hundred percent. So guys, this was our take on the pharmacist on Netflix. And don't forget to demonstrate your love by sharing this podcast with your friends and family or giving us a review on Spotify and iTunes. Until next time. Bye, y'all. Thank you all. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.